everyone has a story. And like the most unassuming people have the craziest stories that you would never know if you didn't take a chance to like get to know them and ask them questions. And that's my 100%, hands down, my favorite part of my job. Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that everyone and every interaction is meaningful. Today's guest is Casey Qualia, the studio coordinator at Summit Studios, a hip performing arts center in Manchester, Connecticut. Casey and I met in 2010 when I walked into Summit looking to offer children's magic instruction. Although we started as colleagues, Casey quickly became one of my dearest friends. She was even a bridesmaid in my wedding just a few years ago. This episode covers the day-to-day responsibilities of a studio coordinator, how an art degree unexpectedly led to mastering human connection, and, of course, Casey's story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. This interview starts rather abruptly, as we were already in full conversational swing during soundcheck. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy. So this is a perfect place to start, because you're asking me about... You know, do you get more comfortable over time doing public speaking? Your job title is studio coordinator. Is that the actual job title? Yes, it, it is. is studio coordinator. What does that mean to you? I feel like I am the traffic control of all humans entering Summit, all humans calling Summit for information, anyone who wanders in off of the street, um, all teachers, all students, all parents, they come to me. They say, here's my problem. How can you help me? (laughs) I'm the solver of all things. (laughs) I love that description of traffic control. Yeah. (laughs) Someone once asked me to describe what your job was at Summit, and I just said you were God. (laughs) (laughs) Close. You are are the creator and determiner of all things. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah, no. How did you find yourself in that that? position? Did you imagine yourself doing that? Or how did that come about? Um, You know, it's funny. Growing up, I always wanted to open a coffee shop called Cool Beans with a K (laughs) because I'm Casey with a K. Um, So when I was in college, my sister started taking lessons at Summit. And my mom told me, hey, they're opening a, a cafe at Summit. You should totally apply to work there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that would be great. They didn't need me at the time, but later on they called me up and said, hey, our barista is no longer available to come in. You know, can you, can you come and work? And I was like, yes, of course. So I started at Summit as a barista in the cafe over 16 years ago and just loved the environment, loved the people, loved interacting with every, you know, new student and parent who came in um, who needed a coffee and um, just never left. I fell in love with the place. Um, The environment is incredible. Everyone there is just happy, um, you know, interested in coming in to learn music, whether it be, you know, vocal lessons, drum lessons, you name it, we do it all. (laughs) Shameless summit plug. You you do (laughs) You, you do it all. And for a short period of time, you did magic. Yes. <laughs> we did. We did offer magic lessons by the talented Brian Holly. Miller. Yeah, so I, I stayed there. I ended up working at the front desk after a while and then just feel like I became an integral part of what was happening. And I'm now pretty much there day in and day out. You, you, you didn't just become an integral 
part. I mean, you, you became, I think that the, the people who bring their kids to Summit and the adults, there's plenty of adults who take lessons there, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually um, amazing. You see a lot of adults that, that oh, yeah. come there that take lessons. I think it's partly because it's so inviting. It doesn't feel like it's just catering to kids. But mm. I think the, the folks that come to Summit, I think they associate you interchangeably with Summit Studios. I don't think they can imagine or envision that place without you. I think a lot of the folks there who haven't had a personal conversation with you, maybe outside of the environment, will be surprised to know that you have an art background. Yeah, a lot of the students and parents there wouldn't know that. Um, I, I guess I tend to ask people more about themselves than I talk about myself. I mean, it comes up every now and then because I've been taking a lot of photos for the studio at the student performances. Um, those are all on display on our Facebook and on you know the walls. But yeah, I studied art at Central Connecticut. My background was in printmaking. Um, I've uh, actually print, had printmaking. Yes. What is describe that? Um, well, there are many different forms of printmaking. My um, concentration was silkscreen. I think Andy Warhol might be one of the most famous silkscreen artists that people would recognize. Um, one of our wonderful Summit students has actually purchased my art, oh. uh, and so we've I've talked to him about it. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, I studied art, and so and I've always loved music. So my home at Summit sort of made perfect sense. Is there anything from, from an art background? I have so many questions about the, the art background. Wow, that, I that's, didn't anticipate this. Yeah, that's always <laughs> been one of my most, um, things I've been most curious about. And I feel like it's one of the things that I've, I, I've asked you least about in all the years we've known each other. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about it that you feel like part of your training as an artist and the way that you see the world and artists learn to to observe and you know and then turn it and create is there anything about that 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 you think actually led to the skills that you have you know what's so funny Brian is I have never really thought about that I've never considered that but it makes perfect sense because in creating art you know when you first start as an artist studying at school you learn how to draw still life pieces and how you really need to see objects to translate them onto paper, really understand objects, see them, and then, you know, learn to be able to draw them really well. Um, and that is my interest in people, is truly seeing them and learning about them and understanding them. And then you create something beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, I've never drawn that connection, which is strange, but, uh, but yeah, I, I love meeting every person that walks into Summit, and I can't help but think that has something to do with the success of Summit, you know, being a place that people want to come back to. I, I think it absolutely does. You know, I had, um, a few months ago, I, I wrote a blog post, and I think I tagged you, tagged you in it. Mm -hmm. it was it was about uh, Seth Godin's idea of linchpins, which is, he has this whole book called Linchpin, and the idea of becoming indispensable, and that mm -hmm. Um, I think he mentioned in that book that there's there's some gas station somewhere in America, this one gas station where this one woman, she sells more gas station coffee by <laughs> by some like, you know, a thousand times as much as the next person or the average across the rest of the country. There's just one random woman. You know, I think what he was making this point of is that that gas station company, if that national organization was going to start laying people off, she would be the very last person in the entire national organization to get to get laid off. Oh, absolutely. She made herself indispensable mm -hmm. in a role that most people wouldn't think you could find any 
person, uh, any, any any personal fulfillment any fulfillment, or, yeah, any yeah. A- any excitement or any you know. But <laughs> yeah. she she somehow she does something for the people that walk into that gas station that makes them want to buy a cup of coffee. I think that, like I said, your ability to do that is not just integral, but I think, I really do think is, is, I mean, of course, all the, the teachers are wonderful and, and the whole, oh, the, whole the, the organization w- wouldn't, it wouldn't work no matter how good the front desk is. It wouldn't work if the teachers weren't great and, and all that stuff. But I think it's such an inviting place. You're an incredibly talented artist. You have such an amazing eye oh, geez, for, you. no, you really are though. And you have such an amazing eye uh, as a photographer, uh, and by the way, for the listeners, set the set the scene a little bit. Uh, we're actually sitting in your living room. Thank you for inviting <laughs> me into your oh, home yes, to anytime, do this. Brian. <laughs> um, your living room is impeccably well designed. Like it, it is, it is just so beautifully laid out, and uh, you have such an eye. Why did you leave art? You know, honestly, um, when I was in high school, growing up. I always created art in my spare time. I would sit on the couch with my sketchbooks while, you know, talking or watching TV and just was always doodling. Um, And then I went to school for it. And while I think that going to school for it definitely brought things out of me that I wouldn't have found on my own, um, I sort of became a little burnt out after pumping out project after project. And I felt like I needed to take a step away from it before, you know, I started resenting it, resenting all of the art that I was making. Um, but now I'm finding my way back to it by taking pictures. Um, I took a photography class back in high school and I've always enjoyed taking pictures over the years, but, uh, I'm I'm trying to get back into that now and it's feeling really organic and natural. And that's how I wanted it to feel again, instead of feeling like I was fulfilling a requirement and checking off all these boxes with a due date that was hard for me. Um, so I'm trying to find the art again. <laughs> Do you enjoy more f- f- doing the photography as, as uh, candids, like when you're doing, when you're taking photos of the students performing where they're not paying attention to you? Yes. Or do you... Yeah, you prefer that. Yeah, yeah. I do. I mean, there... <laughs> Didn't need to finish that question, did there, I? I? Well, yeah, I mean, I think for now there's a lack of pressure that comes with just taking pictures of the kids while they're performing um, that's helping me ease back into it without feeling like okay, you're, you're a hired photographer for this gig and you need to capture this shot perfectly. Like, mm. it takes away that pressure and it's just fun. I'm just trying to keep it fun and light and, you know, bring the joy back to doing, to doing that, to making art. Right, yeah, I've dabbled just a little bit in amateur photography and, and, and oh, I yeah, find... you're a great photographer. Oh, well, uh, no. <laughs> Nonsense. Uh, I, I've dabbled in it and I have found that my favorite thing to take photos of is almost like street photography, candids of people oh, just yeah. living their lives. Yes, yeah. Um, I hate the posed for- portrait I thing. It's too contrived. Um, yeah, nobody looks like real. that. I know, <laughs> I know. People look the way they actually look when they're not having their photo taken. <laughs> yeah, I know. I totally agree. And, uh, I think it's because my, my work is about people and, right. and interaction and how we exist in the world and our relationship to each other. And I feel like I've seen the same thing in your your photos. There's something you can capture an emotion, or right. or a, a, you can almost have a connection with a person in a photo when it's not staged. Mm-hmm. And when it's staged, you just it's it's it doesn't re- represent real life at all. And you just I feel like you don't have a connection with them. 
As you know, the, the purpose, the, the main purpose of this particular show is to talk about chance encounters, lasting impact, the ripple effect that we can have um, in our day-to-day -day interactions if we're open to it, if we see it, if we let it. Do you have a story, a few stories of somebody or some people that you've met? I'd love to hear anything. Because uh, you, you meet so I know. many people. You probably meet about as, you probably meet as many people as I do. Like I meet it's, way higher oh, than the yeah. average amount of Well, yeah, it's people. crazy because like, I'm kind of a homebody. I mean, we go out every now and then, but like the humans come to me, it's wonderful. <laughs> I sit at my desk, the humans come to me and I, uh, I one by you. one I hear their stories. <laughs> I, I need you someday to write your memoirs and to call the book, The Humans Come to Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. That's so perfect. I mean, and really what I've learned in working this job at, at the front desk where I meet so many people every day is that everyone has a story. And like the most unassuming people have the craziest stories that you would never know if you didn't take a chance to like get to know them and ask them questions. And that's my 100% hands down my favorite part of my job. I've met people who you would never know. I, I know a, a playwright musician who has stories about playing music with Debbie Harry. I have met, you know, a guy who's an MIT graduate who has all of these wonderful encounters that he's told me about with meeting Carl Sagan, a geologist who lived in Alaska and you know, saw bears and escaped death from, you know, explosive helicopters, like just crazy stories from like normal looking people who come into the studio that you would never know. I'd say, like I, like I mentioned, most of the people I meet are coming to me through Summit and I've met a few of them that are, are memorable. All of them are memorable. They're so great. Sure. There was a time when Ben, my fiance and I were doing a lot of hikes over the summer and um, he's a skateboarder and I'm a runner. And so we decided to meet halfway and hike together because God knows I tried skateboarding and that didn't work. <laughs> I, that's one thing I cannot see you doing. <laughs> no, I was able to stand and roll on the board without falling, which was my goal. Hey, that's um, not too bad. And I took a cool picture of my skateboard, but that's about as far as it went. Uh, street cred. <laughs> and Ben hates running, but has done 5Ks with me. Uh, so we decided to meet halfway and go hiking together. So a couple of summers ago, we did, you know, a few little hikes around Connecticut. We did the Hubeline Tower. We did Bear Mountain. We went to New Hampshire and climbed Mount Monadnock, which, which was like our biggest climb. And we were like, oh, man, wouldn't it be so cool if someday we conquered the great Mount Washington? <laughs> and we were like, ah, but, you know, it's kind of kind of kind of a big climb and we've never done it before and it might be cool to like have a guide or go with people but you know maybe someday so sure enough um, I got to talking with one of the dads at Summit um, who works at Trinity and it has some sort of outdoor club there that he runs Trinity University Trinity University in Hartford I was just you know again making casual conversation with people asking questions about what they do and what they're into and telling them my stories and I told him, you know, hey, uh, my fiance and I, we've been hiking. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, someday we're interested in doing Mount Washington. And he was like, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. He's like, in September, I'm taking a group from Trinity up to the top of Mount Washington. You should totally come with us. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, are you serious? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll send you all the information. These are the dates we're going. And, um, you know, I told Ben and we were like, this is perfect. And so after an entire summer of hiking all of these small mountains, uh, never really thinking that we'd be hiking Mount Washington anytime soon, um, we got the chance to take a guided tour up to the top of Mount Washington together and live to tell the tale. All because I talked to a stranger <laughs> and they were like, come with us. I have such fond memories of mountain climbing and, and how extraordinary it, it can be, especially as a creator and as an artist. What, what came out of that? Like what, what, what experience, like what part of, of climbing that? Was it um, doing it with Ben? And uh, he's a saint, by the way, uh, for, for running those five <laughs> Ks with you. Uh, let's just put that on record forever. You um, know, it's funny because after we climbed Mount Monadnock, um, I bought my first good camera after years of not taking pictures because I said to myself, I'm doing these amazing things and seeing these wildly beautiful sights and I'm taking terrible pictures with my cell phone. So after we climbed Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire, we went to this little camera shop that happened to be right next door to our hotel that I didn't even notice until we were walking by with our morning coffee before the hike. And Ben said, hey, there's a camera shop. We should go in here. And I said, no, no, you know, they'll probably try to sell me something. I'm not, I'm not in the market right now. He was like, no, let's go. So we went in. Later that day, we climbed Monadnock. I came back. I said, I'm buying a camera. I have to take pictures of, of these things with a good camera. So I bought a camera. Then I met John Gorley, uh, the Trinity professor who took us on our guided hike of Mount Washington. I brought my camera. We took beautiful pictures of Mount Washington. And I also felt like it was a real metaphor for my relationship with Ben and that, you know, we are able to really compromise on things and find joy together. And even though I'm not a skateboarder and he's not a runner, we were able to find this common interest um, and worked together over the summer to build up to this crazy hike and climbed the top of the tallest mountain on the East Coast. I, okay, so what I, <laughs> this, this is why I wanted to do this show. Before we even turned on the microphone, so I don't even, I think I have a record of this conversation, you were concerned for about 10 minutes and said it in about 55 different ways over 10 minutes <laughs> that you didn't think any of your stories were terribly, that they didn't really go anywhere, they were interesting, but they didn't really right. go anywhere. And this is exactly what you, what, what just happened is exactly why I wanted to run this show is because I think we, sometimes we don't even realize how one tiny conversation it didn't just lead to you climbing a mountain. That wasn't the end of the story. Mm -hmm. What it symbolized for your relationship, what it did for you guys that summer, what it actually culminated in, in addition to, in addition to the fact that it sounds like it was actually part of your coming back to art and it coming really back to- It really was a catalyst for that. I completely yeah. forgot that that first climb was when I felt moved to buy that camera that happened to be placed right next to our hotel. Like, it was insane. And then- yeah. Yeah. For, for the listeners, that was Casey having no idea how to put into words that, <laughs> how, to process. that how to process that, <laughs> that, that, full that, circle moment. that feeling. While we're on the topic of the interactions and in our relationship, there have been a variety of defining moments, but mm -hmm. two in particular. One is we actually met because of Summit. Yes. Uh, I had just moved to Connecticut in 2010. I was looking to restart my magic business. Uh, I thought one of the ways to do that was to teach magic lessons that would maybe get me into the, the parents who have companies having parties and things like this. 
and so I ended up at Summit suggesting to the owner to uh, to bring on magic lessons. And so we actually met through that. And you were, I think, the f I want to say the first person. I'd been in Connecticut for about four or five months and had really made zero friends because I was self-employed, trying to make it as a magician. I had no reason. I wasn't into bars. I tried to go to bars and meet people. That doesn't really work. To make friends at a bar by yourself is not a really easy thing to <laughs> Making do. Making friends at the bar. Yeah, so that didn't work. And I wasn't sure how to make friends. Like online dating was one thing, but right. there's no online friend finding, you know. And so you, right away, when I started teaching magic there, you were like, hey, all the summit teachers, we all go out occasionally, come with us. And you just kept inviting me to things. And so <laughs> the summit teachers and, and you and became my first and best group of friends in Connecticut. So, so that's how I found a, a social life and a personal life in, in Connecticut. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Because uh, that, that, was, <laughs> that was incredibly meaningful. But then the story that I've never told publicly. I might have written it in a blog post a few years ago. I can only really pick one story when I have 45 minutes to talk to an audience to, to explain how me, how interactions can lead to things. So I picked the one that ends up with, with Zoe from Yale and Pompeii yes. because it's, it's such an epic tale. Mm -hmm. But in a super meta story is actually the way I got the TEDx talk that ended up changing my life to begin with was... And you've told me, and I've had this story told to me by at least two different people. It's you and Tom, who owns Summit, have told me this story. But uh, Parag Joshi, who is the high school uh, teacher at Manchester High School, who was running that first, that kind of TEDx conference, he was taking his daughter, right? Daughter mm -hmm. to... Oh, yeah, he has to, two daughters that the, right? study at Summit. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, voice lessons, I think? Maybe? Um, yeah. Piano and violin. Okay. So, so he was just kind of waiting around for, for his daughter or his daughters and chatting with you and mentioning, right, that yeah, you... Yeah, another wonderful human who's come through the doors of Summit who I have gotten the pleasure of getting to know Oh, he's, he's beautiful. And, yeah. and as far as I know, when this episode airs, the next one, two weeks from now, assuming this all goes to schedule, will be Parag. Oh, perfect. So this will... I'm hoping oh, that great. these two will roll right into each other. Um, <laughs> he was in there asking... You uh, and and Tom, if you knew anybody that would be a good fit for right. this upcoming TEDx conference, and the story that has been told to me, I don't know if it's true or not because it's been told to me, but was that you kind of both just gave him my name at the oh, same yeah. time? Oh yeah, yeah. We looked at each other. It was a no-brainer. We said Bri Brian Miller, of course. You have to talk to Brian Miller. He'll be perfect. <laughs> so so not only uh, did I find like a personal life and a social life and kind of you know. Uh, uh, a group of friends that got me through the the rough times while I was building my career, but then, one like one of the defining moments that changed my career and changed my life in a in a if there's any if there's any such thing as an overnight success, and there is no such thing. We all know. I've always had to tell people this. They're like, was the TEDx talk like your overnight success? It was like, well, kind of, but at that but point, I'd so had nine or ten that. years in yeah. professional magic by the time I got that. I don't know. I I have I'm having one of those moments now. Every time I think, every time <laughs> I blown. yeah, every time I think back on how crazy and lucky it was. I it mean, wasn't luck, though. It wasn't luck. <laughs> it started with you. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> it's just, fine. It just goes to show what a positive ripple effect there is behind being open, talking to people, asking questions, sharing stories. These are the things that happen. <laughs> right, and, and I think what's really important to note is that it can be positive. Mm -hmm. And because it can be positive, it can also be negative. And the, I think the point that I'm, I'm really 
I care so much about and what the show's about, what the book is about, what my, all my work is about now is what, I'm re- what I've realized in going down this path is that every interaction we have has some effect mm-hmm. on both people. Mm-hmm. Most of them are fairly inconsequential, it seems. You know, you, here's $3, give me a cup of coffee, not much to it. And I think, it's, I think it's just so important to be mindful of that. Every interaction we have, no matter how big or small it seems at the time, can have a positive effect and we should we should try to push it in that direction if we can you know it's so funny that you say that because when considering doing this you know podcast i was thinking about stories people have told me and interactions i've had over the years and i'll never forget it just it seemed like such a small story but i'll never forget my friend nora told me a story about when she was waitressing in new hampshire while she was in college at some diner or something and she was waiting on this table of I think they were teenagers, young kids um, who were horrible, sent her back and forth to the table a million times. And then they finally left and she saw they left no tip at all. And she chased them down the street. And when she caught up to them, she said, hey, did I do anything wrong? And, And they were like, well, no. And of course, they were sort of embarrassed. And she said to them, every day you have the chance to make someone's day better or worse. And it's so true. You really do. Every interaction, if you know, you never know what a smile or a kindness can mean to someone who's having a bad day, even if you don't know they're having a bad day. I want to pivot just uh, just for for uh, a minute here to kind of, I don't know, tie things up, wrap things up. I want to ask a question that I ask everybody now on on the show, which is, if you bumped into somebody from childhood, a friend or an acquaintance from childhood mm-hmm. that you've had no contact with, somehow no social media, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's not possible, but no social media, <laughs> you haven't seen them, heard from them, talked to them in 20 years. Mm-hmm. What would they be most surprised to find out about you or who you've become? Oh God. Casey really struggled with this question. Surprised. I reworded it two or three times over the next two minutes, trying to push her towards something, anything. That's a tough question. I was just about to give up and then I don't know. I mean she dug down deep and gave me a beautiful gift. It's it's possible people might be surprised that I haven't strayed far from my hometown after all of these years. Um, And it's funny because I have a lot of friends who, of course, have gone on to do great things and have traveled and live all over the country. Um, And while I totally respect that and see the value in that, I certainly love traveling, (laughs) um, I really see the value in um, creating roots in a place for so many years and really sort of it's totally in step with this podcast, but getting to know people and being part of a community. I I suppose people might be surprised that I still am working and living in my hometown down the street from the hospital that I was born in. Um, But I love it. I I love it. I love, you know, driving around, seeing all the small businesses that have, some that have been here, some that have changed over the years um, of really knowing the people in my community and feeling like I'm making a positive impact on my community here in Manchester. Would they be surprised about that because my kind of my um, first impression of you was very much a free spirit? That's exactly the, the that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I, I grew up and was very interested in art and 
music and movies and culture and travel and feel like I am very free spirited, but it's just kind of funny that I'm here <laughs> still in my hometown. Um, but I think that's okay. I think it's just in my interactions with people. I, that's really, truly what fuels me. I'm so excited to go to work every day. I love my job. And like you said, kind of like the woman at the gas station, it's like, you know, who really thinks that would be a fun job? Who, who thinks that, you know, working at, at a desk at a performing arts studio for over 15 years, day in and day out is like that flashy and crazy and exciting, but it is the interactions with these humans that are also unique. That really excites me. Well, and that's, that's it. That when you're saying, you know, you wouldn't think that that would be a flashy job. I don't think it is a flashy job. I think you made it a flashy job. <laughs> I, think, I think that we have an opportunity in whatever work we do. I, I've been very lucky. I've gotten to really choose what I wanted to do. Most people don't get to, and I recognize that most people don't get to just choose to do whatever they want mm. for a living. And I've been very, very lucky that I've made it work. Um, obviously, I've worked hard for it, but there's always an element of luck. But I think anybody can choose to love the job they're doing. Right, right. I think there's plenty of jobs that are less desirable on their face, mm -hmm. but for every job that seems less desirable, there's somebody that loves doing it. Right. And I think you can choose if you're in a job and it doesn't seem like a great job or like your first job if you're like right out of college and you're kind of just pushing papers around, you got to there's there's humans that are relying on you that you can there's always someone that you can be affecting and interacting right. with. Right. And as long as you're doing that, a robot is never going to replace you because <laughs> that's the one thing a robot can't do is have that, those interactions that you're having. Right, right. And there, it is great that there's an element of, you know, lightness to my job. I'm not working at a corporate company. Um, you know, we're a music studio. So if somebody walks in and they look like they're having a bad day, for instance, a few days ago, someone came in and, you know, this dad and he let out a huge sigh and and I didn't have to be completely, completely professional. I could say, hey, are you okay? Is everything go like okay? Like what's going on? <laughs> and I feel like when you look at everyone like they're human, you know, it just opens this door to this, to these conversations. Have you ever seen the movie Waking Life? No. By Richard Linklater, he did Boyhood, oh, I, uh, I, Dazed I, and Confused, among other yeah, things. Yeah, I, I love him as a filmmaker, but no, I haven't. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, it came out in 2001. One specific scene that I love is a scene of him bumping into this woman coming out of the subway. And she says, wait, can we do that again? Like, I'm sick of being an ant. I'm sick of being an ant and interacting with people in this ant colony, like paper, plastic, can I have a straw? You know, I want real human moments. I want to see you. I want you to see me. And I love that so much. And that's like how I operate on the daily. It's just like being mindful, being open, being, you know, being present. Well, I think that's as good a place to end as anything. Uh, I think that encapsulates everything. I really appreciate your time again. Of I course. know that's a weirdly formal thing to say. <laughs> yes, and congratulations to you for all of your success with the TEDx, with the book. I appreciate that. Before you start binge watching another Netflix series, here are some of my favorite takeaways from this episode. First, Casey commented repeatedly on how many incredible stories are hidden just behind otherwise ordinary seeming people. It reminded me of my favorite quote from Doctor Who, when the doctor says, in 900 years of time and space, 
I've never met anyone who wasn't important. The lesson? Everyone has a story and they're all worth hearing. Second, even someone as present, mindful, and self-aware as Casey had a mind-blown moment when she realized just how far the ripples carried from a single, ordinary conversation. We can't connect the dots looking forward, but if we treat people kindly and uniquely, we'll find plenty of dots to connect looking backward. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.